News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio, where you want it, when you want it. Good morning, this is November 21st. Welcome to Garden Talk. You're listening to Rick Van Daverdijk and Joe Van Dijk again. I'd like you to join us here at one 332 8255 and you can do that by either calling or you can text uh, at three at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. So uh, this this week we had uh, a little bit of a, a windstorm and some snowstorm in different parts of the province. So uh, with that with that came a lot of different things. Uh, I know in our garden center in Regina, we had some of the the roof blow off and a few panels in there. So we had to quick, quickly get that all put back together again. And uh, but then we had some trees. I noticed some trees. People calling in saying there's trees broke, branches broken, and those kind of things. So. Um, that's something that you can get out there and do some pruning and uh, get them cleaned up. Even right now, it's not going to, now it's a perfect time to do a lot of that kind of pruning and, and get it cleaned up anyway. So, um, uh, so that's a good thing to do because the weather's not too bad yet. It's not too cold. Yeah. And so, talking about that pruning, like, what do I do if I have like a small branch that is broken off or if there's a big branch that's broken off? What should I be doing? with those branches right now. Well, one thing I remember when when um, when you get a windstorm, it's a little bit different than if you're you're cutting a branch off or if, you know, one branch just sort of, you know, gets broken by, you know, whether something else falls on it or whatever because a lot of times the branch will tear, right? It'll break off and then tear some bark off the the side of the the um, the, the trunk. So what you need to do is obviously a lot of times it'll just still be hanging there. So you should take off portions of that branch off to take some of the weight off, especially if it's a bigger branch and then make your final cut. So that you make a nice clean cut, uh, to make it, um, so that it, uh, so that it heals properly. And so, especially with really big branches, like, you know, four, five, six, 12 inches wide in diameter, uh, they're going to rip off quite a bit of bark down. And so then just clean off that bark, and then you probably what you need to do is you'll need to take some what's either pruning, I call pruning paint, and you can seal up, especially if it's a big, big wound, because it won't, the bark won't heal right over that. So you want to clean it up so that the, there's no um, spots where the water can sit in. And so a lot of times you'll have a little little cups inside where they broke off. So you want to just take your, your chainsaw or your chisel and hammer or whatever and just smooth it out so that any moisture that gets in there, it'll just run out. So will that affect the growth of the tree in the future if those branches, like will it change the shape of my tree? Yeah, it'll, it definitely will change the shape of the tree because obviously it's a big branch. And so uh, and the, I guess what the real problem might come in with some of the trees is that let's say you had a tree that had a big Y in it. And then one of the, let's say the wind came and just opened up that Y, so it split right down the middle of the tree. The problem with that comes is that as, as it rains year after year, the moisture runs down, hits the leaves, runs down the main trunk of the tree, and then into that crack. And then, of course, the bark is the, is the protection. Like having, you know, it's like staining, putting stain on the deck, right? It protects mm-hmm. the outside of the, it protects the wood. So now if that rain get inside there, so that's a problem. So you have to decide if it's split really bad, you might have to take one of them off. Okay. Or if it's not split that bad, you just, you just opened up a crack there. You may want to do is you, you can drill some holes further up, up, up past the Y, up higher than the Y, drill some holes right through the trunk. And then put a piece of threaded rod in, and then some washers on, and then tighten it up. 
but then that won't stop the water from still going in the crack. So then you have to take some some silicone or some uh, stop leak. There's things called that spray, mm. that spray uh, sealant. You put st- anything to keep the the uh, the water from going into that crack. So you're basically bracing your tree. You're, there. you're basically bracing the tree. You don't want to put a lot of people. You'll see they'll put a, a, a wire, yeah, or a chain or rope around to tie higher up to hold the tree together. Going around the outside is not as good because that'll just because a tree will move and it'll just it'll just actually damage the bark some more. The best is drilling a hole and putting a piece of uh, we call a ready rod or threaded rod through. And how would I know if a tree is too far gone with with damage? I guess uh, the biggest one is too far gone is if if it's if it's it's so much damage that the shape is not just what you want anymore. <laughs> so, or, or if the rest of the structure of the tree looks like, you know, the rest of the tree might come down. It might be dangerous. It might be dangerous. So then you might want to get an arborist in because, uh, obviously a bigger tree like that, whether it's hanging over a house or your driveway or, or something, you know, <laughs> you may want to get an arborist in just to get a, a second opinion. A lot of them will give you an estimate of what it would cost to take down. And, uh, um, but you don't want to, I've seen lots of horror stories where people get up there with a saw and a ladder and, and then, uh, the branch comes down and swings down and takes out your ladder, right? So, well, and that's the thing is ladder safety is really important right now yeah. when you're on your trees. Yeah. So you want to, you want to make sure these guys are, are professional. They're, they're, yeah. tri- they're tied in. They, they, they might know how to like clean the snow off their boots yeah. before they even go up on a ladder. Just yeah. Something simple yeah. like that. Yeah. Right? So they're, they're, they're just been doing this all the time. And a lot of times if they can get it with a truck, they have a bucket and get up there with yeah. and, and just, and just be safe. So, um, so that's one thing we could do just to be, just to be more careful. So, uh, you can give us, still give us a call at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. There's lots, lots of questions coming in, and you, your question might be the same as everybody else's question, whether it be about your house plant or about your trees out in your yard, or maybe the snow's not covering up some of your plants. You're worried about the hardiness of it. Or what's bugging you? What's and... bugging you? Yeah. So people have been coming in, lost Jill. What's the, what's the biggest bug that's been been happening in the greenhouse? I think most people are talking about spider mites right now in their home. Um, biggest reason for that is our homes are so dry and we're changing the consistency of our watering. So that's one that we're seeing a lot um, is the spider mites. And so you want to control spider mites with uh, just making sure you add some pebble trace to your home, increase your humidity, um, make sure you're keeping your plant nice and healthy by consistent watering. And then also uh, you can get a product called Endol, which is a pyrethrin canola oil-based product. And you can spray that on your plant every 10 days until you see um, that the spider mites have disappeared. The other one that is kind of pesky right now we're seeing is fruit flies and fungus gnats. Now, there is a difference between the two. What's the difference? Um, well, fruit flies you'll usually see come in on your fruit, and they usually tend to hang around your sink in places dark and, and moist, whereas your fungus gnats are more of a larvae that start in your plant soil, and then they will fly up, and they look a lot like a fr- fruit fly. Fungus gnats are generally a little bit smaller as well, too. Um, to get rid of fungus gnats, uh, you can use sticky traps. Uh, you can, I usually will go through and I'll try and get rid of any of those wet, dark areas in my house. Put my fruit off the counter for a little bit, um, for your fruit flies. And then for your fungus gnats, if you have them in the soil, I'll take an apple or a potato and I'll cut that up into pieces, set it on the soil at nighttime. 
And then in the morning, that will draw that larva to the top surface of the soil. Now, the larva is so small that you're not going to see it. It's not going to be gross and disgusting. <laughs> so don't worry about that. Um, and then you're going to remove the top half inch of soil and that will get rid of that larva and then continue to keep those sticky sticks in the soil to catch those adults. And that will get rid of your problem pretty quick. Yeah. The flies, they don't really do anything to the plants. It's, it's the, if you get too many of the larva, the little maggots, then they either yes. can eat on the top set of roots. Okay. Uh, but, um, but really not a big hassle. And the fruit flies are just annoying. I mean, they're in your garbage can, they're in your sink, coming up flying out of your sink and everything else. But a lot of people brought their plants in from outside or they repotted their plants. And so fungus gnats grow naturally. They love peat moss, okay? So, and eggs can stay dormant for a long, long time. And then when you start watering your plant indoors, that's what actually, you know, triggers those eggs yeah. to, to hatch again. So, mm-hmm. uh, even brand new soil, I mean, you could get fungus gnats because, you know, when they, you know, up in, in a lot of peat moss comes from, let's say, Carrot River, Saskatchewan. I mean, the fungus gnats are natural up there. So those eggs are going to be in soil no matter, no and matter what. I so. like the, that you use the word natural. And a lot of times yeah. when we're gardening indoors, we forget that plants and soil are a natural thing. Yep. So to have something that's completely sterile and to think that you're going to have a plant in your house um, that's not going to ever have bugs, it's almost equivalent to having a toddler without a runny nose. <laughs> yep. So it's not going to happen. It's something that's very natural and you just have to know how to keep things at bay and use some integrated pest management to, yep. to sort of keep these plants healthy. Okay, well, we're going to go to a break right now. So uh, join us here and at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. We'll be glad to hear your call. This is uh, six fifty CQM and nine eighty CJME. Good morning and welcome to Garden Talk. I'm Rick Van Damnick and my daughter Jill Van Damnick joining here today. And you know, Jill, I was uh, last night. I was this last Friday and Saturday. I was doing a bit of traveling. I was down in Swift Current. And uh, watching my grandson play play against the Swift Current Broncos there, and then I'm that next day I, ne- that night I drove on to Medicine Hat and watched him play the next night in Medicine Hat. So traveling all over so the place. So traveling all over the place. Yeah, they're doing pretty good. The Winnipeg Ice. They're now 19 and one. So it's kind of fun to watch them. And um, sorry, just I'm sorry, Swift Current, <laughs> that 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 uh, it had to be at the other end of that. But uh, but you know what? When I was down in Swift Current areas, I I noticed that you know there's not a lot of snow down there yet and medicine hat was even the same thing even less snow and so just make sure that you know with these nighttime temperatures starting to get down there just make sure that you are um you know are making sure that you're covering your plants and and uh of course you're they're used to that a lot the snow disappearing a lot so making sure that you're you know if you do have some snow putting some snow around um you know taking off the grass and put it onto some of your plants or or maybe if you have some leaves you got still ha- hanging over or bark mulch or peat moss or something like that then you can uh, make sure that you can um, um you can cover them up because the temperatures haven't been that bad i mean the, the nighttime temperatures as soon as we get down below minus 15 that's when I'd be a little bit concerned uh, for some of my more tender plants. So uh, as long as it's above that, you don't have to worry about that. So we have a call, Jill. Oh, awesome. uh, if you have also a call you want to come to, give us a call at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. And we have Paul here from Saskatoon. Good morning, Paul. Uh, morning, you guys. Um, I mulched my plants, you know, the the ones that aren't as hardy, like my, my uh, sea buckthorn and my gojis and stuff, put leaves on them uh, over top just because 
I had them and uh, put them over top, and then it rained. Yep. We got that rain, and um, and that formed ice on there, and then now we got the snow. So am I going to have an issue here with, uh, with with that kind of a situation going on? No, those plants will be okay with that. Um, one thing nice about a little bit of rain on top of some of your mulch, then make sure that doesn't blow away on you. Yeah. Get some of the big winds, you know. It basically sets it in there so it, it freezes it together so it can't move away. No, there, there's, uh, with all those leaves, there's enough air pockets in there that it'll be fine. Um, uh, so, no, you won't have any problem with that at all. Um, what what that rain does, though, is that what it, what the worst thing I worry about, especially for the country people, is that you get snow and then rain and then snow. It makes a hard crust underneath, and then now all of a sudden the deer and the rabbit can't get at the regular grasses and everything else, and now they move into your yard, and they can smell that right through all your mulch and your snow, and they start digging through. Uh, they've gone after my junipers, my mugo pines, and everything else, and they'll start digging through. So, uh, uh, you're, Paul, you're in Saskatoon. You probably don't have problems with the deer, but out in my acreage, I do. And that usually, when I get a crust like that, that usually causes an issue. So um, Now, what about those leaves if they were um, wet at all? Is, is there anything we should be doing to prevent those leaves from rotting and maybe getting fungus on the plants, or will they be fine? No. Well, the biggest thing for you got to remember that you want to leave the leaves in the winter time they're frozen, so you're not going to have a problem with that. In the spring, Paul, what you can do is just make sure that you wait until um, I like waiting until the the ground has thawed out around the plants. Okay, and that's the big thing. A lot of people will take them off too early. And then we get some cold weather snap again, and then all of a sudden, you know, these plants have that all that protection around them, and the ground isn't as frozen as the ground around it, and then you get some damage that way. So just wait, and I always wait as I probe the soil around what's not covered around the plant, and if it's if the if the soil is no the frost is coming out of the soil, then I can take my mulch off. But uh, other than that, no, you Paul, you won't have a problem with uh, with that, and the ice will. Um, actually just seal all that, all the small towns that won't blow away with some of these 100 kilometer hour winds we've been having around the province. Yeah, well, I piled snow on top of that. Just Yeah. That's perfect. You know, it's amazing. Snow is such a great insulator. It's just amazing. That's why I tell people that if you, if you have some plants that you're worried about and you have some extra snow on your, from your driveway or from your, from your grass area, just put a little bit more on top of the plants. Um, it's, it's amazing how good it is. Well, I'm collecting the snow for my watering in the house plants too. So. Okay, perfect. perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. That that's the best type of uh, that's the best type of water to use is uh, especially this time of the year is to use. Uh, I always say rainwater or melted snow water is the best for the plants. It has still lots of nutrients in it, all those micronutrients in it, and it, uh, it's the best for them. Yeah. Thank you so Thank- much for your time, you guys. Thank you, Paul. So that's right, um, Jill, is that uh, people always ask me, oh, how much do I water the plants in, in the wintertime? So, and, and, what, and there again, what, how to use, what, to, what kind of water do I use? Yeah, so the best thing to do is our water in Saskatoon especially, and to know what type of water. A lot of times we have a little bit of chlorine in our water, and what you'll see on your house plants is that will start to burn the tips of your plants. So it's important, you either let that chlorine evaporate out overnight. How do you do that? Um, you just fill your container up and just have it sitting in your watering can and it will just simply evaporate out. So we'll do it in a watering can or like some people have just a small little hole in their watering can. So yeah, or probably, even fill the sink up with water and let yeah, it evaporate that way. a salad bowl. A or salad whatever. bowl, yeah. um, a big bucket. You can do any of those things. Um, grabbing some snow from outside and bringing it inside by the back, back doorstep and letting it thaw and uh, making sure that it's warm enough though that you're not like 
putting ice cold water on your plants. And then the biggest thing is waiting for your plants to need water. Now, this is the thing that I always say is when you go around and water your plants, do not have a schedule and say, I'm going to water my plants every week on Thursday. You can check your plants every week on Thursday. So take your finger or your little probe with uh, with your um, moisture meter and put that into the soil and wait for your plant to feel dry to the touch before you water it. So and that's, that's whether really indoors or whether outside in your yard. It's the same thing. You never want to be watering a wet plant. Yeah. That's really, really, really important. It's easier to water um, and uh, rehydrate a dry plant than it is to try and squeeze that soil, that water out of that soil in a in an overwatered plant. So if you take snow water, how long should you leave it uh, before you use it? Well, I'd probably let it, first of all, turn into water <laughs> instead of snow and then um, make sure it's like almost room temperature yeah. before you start using it. Okay, so um, so that's a good idea. Now, uh, fertilizer, what type of fertilizer should they use? Um, I like to use a Schultz fertilizer. It's the drops that you can put in. Um, it's a really basic fertilizer and it's a mild fertilizer especially for the winter season um, I would usually be using that on my house plants every time I water and I'll maybe switch it to maybe every second time I water but at the same time we're not watering as often in the winter so even if you do do it every time you water it's not a big deal either so let's say I have 20 20 20 Yes. Let's see. Is yes. that okay to do too? You definitely can. Just inside the house on the back of the container, it will say four house plants on the back. And yep. it's a different mixed ratio than you would say use on your annuals, perennials, and things like that outside. Okay. So, yeah. So, just, uh, so the plants still need food in the wintertime. So, it's. They it's, do, just not as much not as because much. they aren't actively yep. growing. So, uh, so, you say, how often should I fertilize then? Um, I maybe once a month I would fertilize yep. okay. right now. So, quite a bit less than what you do when the plant is actively growing. Yeah, so basically I look at it, it's because when, don't forget when you're watering, you're gonna stick your finger in, you wanna let the top inch and a half dry out for a lot of plants. And then and then you're gonna, so when, you, and when you're gonna water, you're gonna water thoroughly so the water comes out the bottom of the pot. So that means you're gonna be leaching out some of the nutrients there. So I always say every fourth or fifth watering. So that will work out to be basically once a month in the wintertime for a lot of plants. Now, the only plant that I would say is exception to do that leaching yep. or leaching of the soil in the wintertime is succulents and cactus. The reason being is they don't dry out fast enough in the winter um, if you water the whole thing and saturate it so that it's pouring out the bottom. So a water less more frequently is better off with your succulents and cactus in the okay. wintertime. And how about fertilizer for those? Fertilizer, you don't need to fertilize them in the wintertime. They are not actively growing at all. So do yep. not fertilize your cactus and succulents in the wintertime. If you do, make sure you use a fertilizer that is meant for cactus. Okay, good. So, well, when we come back from the news break here, we're going to be talking a little bit about Christmas trees and how to pick one. We've got our Christmas trees in at the oh, Garden I'm Center so this excited. week. excited. And we're going to talk about the greens and also a little bit more about succulents too. So join us here at one 877 This is Rick Van Dominick and Jill Van Dominick on 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Well, welcome to Garden Talk. You're listening to Rick Van Dominick and Jill Van Dominick. Like you to join us here at either by the phone, phoning, or you can text uh, by using the same number, one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. That's one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Well, I always love it, Jill, when when callers uh, either call or text in and give their own home remedies of how they take care of things. So and this one's for fungus gnats. Yeah. So El Eleanor was listening from Saskatoon, and she has uh, one way of getting rid of fungus gnats. She says, and so she says, um, I have a simple way to get rid of fungus gnats. Uh, I soak the tobacco from a cigarette uh, overnight in a cup of water. 
strain it in the morning. I put about a quarter cup of this in the, in, into the water that you use for watering. So she's making basically a concentrate, mm-hmm. okay? And, um, and then a quarter cup into the water for watering. I freeze the remaining tobacco juice for the next time I need it. So, she, so she's making a little tobacco. I've heard tobacco a lot of times is a, almost like a natural... A tobacco tea is what she's making. Tobacco here. tea. Yeah. Basically, she's making a tobacco tea. So she, first of all, makes a concentrate, and then that concentrate she mixes into with her, um, her, uh, her regular uh, water. And so, um, and tobacco also has nutrients in it as well. So acts like a very, very, very mild little fertilizer as well. So that's what I love about gardening is there's so many little tips and tricks that you can have and things that work for some people, things that don't work for others. And call in, send us a text and let us know what your little tips and tricks are. I find it really fascinating and we can all learn so much from each other and um, there is no right or wrong way to garden when it comes to different things you can do. There's so many different ways that these plants can be successful and there's so many natural ways that we're finding out that we can remedy um, some of the problems we're having with plants yeah. too. That, that, that makes so fun, honestly, is that there's not, no right or wrong way. There's always your way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that works, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and sometimes there's mistakes, and sometimes we got to start again. But well, I mean, it's called a hobby. We got to learn with it, right? <laughs> got to learn with it. Uh, now this week, Jill, um, we unloaded the Christmas trees. Yes, they just came it, in on just, Wednesday. Just came in on Wednesday, so we're very fortunate that I went to open the doors and looked at the looked at the uh, manifest of uh, what all came on the truck. I got what I ordered. I was oh, so happy. That's exciting. <laughs> so. so because there's reports from the garden centers all across and tree lots right across Canada that they, they were shorted. And uh, so I was shorted some Fraser firs, that, uh, but they, they just substituted. With, I was able to get substituted for balsam firs for some Fraser firs. And so um, that's, that was key for me that I still had the same numbers that I wanted. I wanted to order more this year, but they said, no, I couldn't do that. So tell me the difference. What's the difference between a balsam and a Fraser fir? Uh, they're both a fir tree. Uh, I find th- those are the two trees that I've, over the time that I've in our own garden center for our own customers, that they've been the, the, the last, longest lasting and the most fragrant. And so, um, and the Fraser firs, especially I find last even longer. I, we always sold Fraser firs to the people that came in November and the first week of December because they're putting the tree up early. That's like, like me. You're putting your tree up now. Um, chances are it might... You, it might make it to Christmas if you put it up right now, but you don't want to touch it. Yeah, I, I always tell the so, kids, I say, don't touch the tree when it's close to Christmas time because the needles are all going to fall, fall to the off, ground. Fall to the ground and have a little, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas tree with just some <laughs> decorations on no needles, right? So, yeah, it is early to put it up, but I am suggesting people to, um, if you see a Christmas tree stand up somewhere, whether it's at a garden center or a grocery store or whatever you see it, that you pick it up and just uh, leave it uh, tied up if you want, if you get in this early, and put it in a, sh- in a shady spot in the yard outside so it's not right in the direct sun or in a shed or whatever, uh, just not a heated garage unless it's close to zero. Um, but otherwise, just put in, because there's no different whether it's sitting in the Christmas tree stand or your house, right? So um, just remember, if you may want to get it, because if you decide to get it after the 15th of December, um, there might be slim pickings out there. I know last year, around the 10th of December, even customers were coming, coming in. in. And we were very slim pickings slim on pickings. our so, trees. So, yeah, so I suggest this year, even if you're not going to put it up right away, I would suggest if you do see one, uh, maybe get one. And, you know, when you're picking a Christmas tree, 
it's it's really hard. Like we in our greenhouse, we open them up so people can see them. So they spend they'll spend more time looking for a Christmas tree than they will for a live tree that they're going to plant in their front yard in spring. So it's kind of fun that way. That it's a family thing, right? It's a tradition. It's a tradition. So. Um, um, just remember that uh, if you're going to pick a tree in a, in a tree lot, let's say, uh, find find the, maybe three or four trees that basically look the same, about the same size trunk and everything else. If you're going to pick from a row of them, and then lift them up and find one that feels the heaviest. Obviously, if you've got one with a little tiny trunk and one with a big trunk, there's going to be a big difference in weight already, mm-hmm. right? But if they all have about the same size of trunks, just lift it up. And if you feel more weight on it, as long as they're more similar in the bundle size and everything else, the trees bundle up, the one that weighs a bit more have more moisture content in it. And more moisture content, it means that it'll last long, longer. Now, when okay? we're talking about moisture contact, there, content in the tree, there also is a product called Wilt Proof. Yeah. And uh, that's a really neat product that if you wanted to spray it on your tree, just take your, your tree out to your garage or onto your front step before you bring it inside. And then on a warmer day, spray it with wilt proof. And what that is, is it's almost like a waxy substance and it will seal in the pores of the needles yeah. on the tree. If you're going to put it up right now, that's, yeah. I would suggest that for and sure. And so then those, that water is not perspiring through the, yep. through the needles. Um, and your tree will last a lot longer. I do that with like my mantelpiece items or any like swags or, or wreaths that yep. you want to put. Um, in your house and you're maybe wanting to prolong them that you can't have them in water, um, wilt proof is almost a necessary thing. Now, in the tree lot, we're always doing a fresh cut for our customers on the trees right before they head out. How long will that fresh cut last and when should they cut it and how much should they cut off the bottom of the tree? Okay, you should cut at least two inches off the tree, okay? Like at least two inches. So make sure that if you make a... If you're going to... Some of the tree stands will cut it for you, okay? That's okay if you're going to put it up you know, it, that evening, right? If you got, if you picked it up, let's say after work or whatever, and you're going to put up that evening, they can make a fresh cut for you. But if you're not, if you're going to pick it up on a Wednesday, you're not going to put the tree up until the weekend. Don't, don't make a fresh cut because uh, you have to. You can if you want, but you just have to make another fresh cut before you put it in the tree. Okay, so about two inches off the tree. Um, some people like an angle. An angle is the best way to do it, but an angle is just not practical for a tree stand. The other thing it that won't stand, it won't stand up in the tree stand if you cut it on an angle. So the other thing that I've learned is my first tree that I put up in my home, I picked a tree stand and it actually didn't have a very big water reservoir. Yeah, that's key. And so I switched to a different tree stand with a larger water reservoir. So my tree stand now actually holds um, eight to ten liters of water. Yeah. And the thing that I thought was crazy is when I put that tree up in the first day. I was filling that tree stand up almost once a day. The first three to four days is critical. You can't, you can't, if you miss once, uh, then what happens is that the, the port, you'll get an air pocket into the pores. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden now you'll, it'll quit sucking water up again. So if you're planning on going on a ho- away in a hockey tournament, this is what I learned. <laughs> and you just put your tree up, just like you have a pet and you, you need someone to come and like feed your pet. You'll need someone to come and water your Christmas tree that weekend because otherwise your tree will get that crossed over. I actually had to take my tree down and do another little cut on the side, um, to, so that it would start soaking up water. Now, one again. thing I've done too, if I my tree stops sucking, mm-hmm. is I've taken my cordless drill, okay, with a with a half inch bit on it or a three eighths bit, uh, and then what I did is I went down and I drilled another hole into the trunk just below the water. Okay. Okay, and now that there again opened up some pores again. That way you don't have to take the tree down, and that has worked too. Just put don't don't do it all the way around so you're cutting off everything. But if you drill some holes through and uh, into the trunk, but it has to be just underneath the water line, and then it'll, it'll re-suck water back up again. Well, 
I'm not going to make that mistake twice. So I'm going to have my tree nice and watered and have my buckets ready to fill that tree up. But that's a good tip for sure. So we're going to go to break right now. So we're going to talk about uh, greens and that kind of stuff when we come back. Uh, so I'm Rick Van Davendijk and Jill Van Davendijk. You're listening to 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Thank you for joining us here on Garden Talk. And uh, we'd like you to join us here at one 877 Joe, we had a couple of texts here. One is... Um, about Linda here, she she talks to us about uh, making sure we wash our hands after we use the tobacco before handling the plants. Because she, and she is kind of right in one way. She says because there can be a tobacco mosaic virus. Mm-hmm. Now the tobacco mosaic virus, I believe that only affects well, it won't really affect the tropical plants as much as it would affect things like your bedding plants, like your flowering plants, right? Yeah, and your vegetable plants, your tomato plants, tomatoes, are more susceptible. Peppers, peppers, that kind of stuff. Um, some of your um, like kales, those yep. those types of things are more susceptible to it, and usually it's it will get into the plant if you're like maybe taking cuttings off the plant or if there's some sort of wound. Then you want to make sure like if you're doing propagation of plants after you're finished smoking a cigarette, you would want to make sure you wash your hands yep. very well. Um, and we always teach our staff and our customers that too. And also, when you're doing cuttings and those kind of things. The culture is very important, so keeping everything sterile and clean is important anyways. Yeah, but um, as far as making a tea um, with tobacco leaves, um, it actually is a very common um, home remedy um, for your plants. Also here, I had uh, a text here. Uh, If you want to also join us here at at this segment, here's 1-877-332-8255. You can do that by calling or texting at 1-877-332-8255. We have a text here from Rose from Saskatoon. Uh, I bought... Jill, this is a good one for you. I, I bought a coleus. I brought a coleus indoors. She had it outside, obviously, for the summertime. Hope to make new plants from cuttings in the spring um, to plant outdoors next June. Any tips, she's asking. Well, coleus, for those of you that don't know, this is one of the biggest um, king of the shade plants, and it's got so much vigorous and vibrant colors to it and so many different colors. And it does root very, very quickly. Um, so a little tip and trick for you is take the bottom sets of leaves, make sure you have two sets of leaves on your coleus, um, then take the bottom set of leaves off and make a sharp cut, maybe about um, a quarter of an inch underneath that um, node. That node yep. And then sit it, sit it in some water or some moist soil until you start to see roots, and then you can repot it. Um, sometimes with the coleus, if you wanted to do it for next spring, you have a quite a long growing season in the wintertime that you've got to carry this plant. So what I'll do is I'll take the mother plant and I'll chop it down to about a third of the size that it is right now and let it grow in the house as a house plant. And then later on, closer to that February mark, when I want to actually make more little babies, I'll take cuttings off of that mother plant and then plant those. So timing. You're, is exactly. Fe- February, February, is that about the best time to start getting it growing again? And you know, Yeah, I'd probably January start growing it again, get yep. some fertilizer into it, and start taking those cuttings off in early February. So bright light, obviously. So Bright light, but bright indirect light yep. for those um, those cuttings, and make sure you're starting to fertilize it a little bit um, come January. It's not going to actively grow a lot in the wintertime, yep. but taking those cuttings off, and it will root really quickly. And once yep. you get into spring, coleus grows really fast, so yep. you don't need to start a huge plant now start little cuttings in February and then they'll be massive um, by the time spring comes. And that would be the same for your geraniums. People are saving the geraniums and those kind of things. They're again in end of January, beginning of February when the daylight hours are starting to get longer. Good time to do all those. So right now what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to cut your mother plant down so that you're going to have more branching and more new growth coming for the the, um, 
I guess, early winter or late winter season when you're going to be taking those cuttings. And just give them a rest right now. Give them a rest right now. That's right. Now, when I was going for a walk, um, Rick, I noticed that there was um, doggy doo-doo on some of the branches outside. (laughs) And you can really notice it um, now that there's no leaves on the trees. So what is that and how do you take care of it? Doggy, what I call doggy doo-doo in a tree. (laughs) That's called black knot. You'll see it in mayday trees and choke cherry trees. That's where they're mostly in those two plants. So I always say... And it's a fungus. It's a fungus, and it spreads in the spring. So you want to get it out of the tree before spring, okay? Because by by the end of April, beginning of May, it's going to spread spores to the rest of your branch in your tree or to your neighbor's tree or to another tree in your yard. So best to do, anytime you see it, cut it out. doesn't matter what time of the year, but this time of the year, the leaves are off, so that's why you see it. I mean, some trees are just... I mean, if it's if the tree is totally covered, like, every single branch, then maybe it's time to take that tree down and plant a different tree that doesn't get fungus, you know, black knot. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem, it, like, in in a lot of our uh, uh, towns is that we have natural wild choke cherries around, like in Saskatoon. We have a river that runs through it and, you know, a nice parkway, but a lot of wild choke cherries. So when the wind blows in the spring, it just blows through the whole city. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a tough plant to, to not get it. I mean, you can use a dormant spray kit, which you've got to spray in, in April, and it'll, it stops the fungus from, from uh, uh, growing on the plants. It's called the door, it's basically lime sulfur and, and a horticulture oil. Uh, but other than that, um, just make sure you keep it pruned out so that it, it doesn't spread the spores more. And what am I doing with those branches after I prune oh. them? Am I disposing of them, burning them? What am I doing? Yeah, uh, obviously in the city we can't do much burning. Mm-hmm. So, uh, unless you have a little fire pit or something like that, but otherwise put them in the garbage. Okay. Uh, if you're out in the country, uh, burn them or bury them or whatever, but don't put them in your compost. Uh, because then that'll just spread from your compost uh, around as well. So. And is it just the contact on my pruners that I'm cutting, or Absolutely. do I have to make cut, sure I don't cut right at the at, at the black knot because you will get the fungus on your pruners and then spread it that way. So I can always so, have a bleach solution yeah. to clean my pruners. So too. keep it clean. Well, we're going to go to Anne here in Humboldt, and she has a question for us. Good morning, Anne. How are you today? Just fine, thank you. Very good. And um, my question is, I have a Christmas cactus, yes, and it's got lots of little buds on it, mm-hmm. but they just seem to be sitting there, and I'm wondering whether I'm just being impatient for them to open or whether <laughs> I should be doing something. Well, right now, if they have little buds on them, you just really want to watch your consistency on watering. Be patient, for sure, and give them a little bit more light. So if you can move them into an area with a south or west facing window, you'll find that those little buds, they, they need some, some more energy from that sunlight. Sunlight is food for your plants. So if you give them that sort of food, watch your watering. You don't want to overwater, but at the same time, when a Christmas cactus or an Easter cactus, for that matter, is... Um, is in the stage of blooming, it does require a little bit more water than when it's dormant or when it's not actively blooming. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're, You're welcome. welcome. Okay, bye-bye. So, yeah, if you have a question, just give us a call at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. 332 855 So, Jill, um, I, I feel sorry for all the people in, in British Columbia. Uh, they had all those crazy floods over there roads washed out and everything else, but that also caused a problem that we get a lot of our live greens, like our cedar boughs and our, our, our Douglas fir boughs and everything else, and they all come from BC, so there's two problems we have, right? Yeah, that? so the first one is um, the shipping problems that we're having, getting everything across, all the highways are washed out, and there's just 
so much devastation that's happening in the farmland and the highways and the transportation industry right now. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to see. Um, but that's stopping supply chain getting here. So a lot of your fresh greens, um, we're not seeing them. And the second reason is that they've been getting so much rain that they haven't been able to get the pickers out into the, into the forest, into the fields to, to cut the cedar and pine and fir, um, and hemlock. Um, so that's one thing that, you will, you'll know if you, if you see it, you might want to grab your greens now. Um, we are also looking at, hopefully they'll be opening up a few highways this week that we'll be able to reroute, um, our plants and get stuff here so we'll be fully stocked up and be able to make those arrangements and wreaths and all those pretty mantle pieces. But when I think about the devastation that's happening there, that's the very least of some people's worries. Um, but there is product that's coming. Um, but remember it's coming from a lot of these lush green places like BC and there is some delays with uh with the pickers in the forest they can't they can't actually get people out there and then of course the transportation issues we're having too yeah so yeah it's like anything else we're seeing you know with all the sales you know i was in a i was in a mall the other day and there's all kinds of black friday sales on and they're saying that this year you better get a lot of your christmas shopping and your things like your christmas tree and all that kind of stuff just because of supply chain issues uh, make sure don't wait to the last minute this is not the year to wait to the last minute yeah get out there have fun and sort of have fun getting into the christmas spirit with your family this year well, that's the show for this weekend. Thank you, Jill. And uh, thank you for joining us on Garden Talk. I'm Rick Van Davenek, and this is Jill Van Davenek as well on 650 CQM and 980, 980 CJME.